Fire in the Mountain, Chapter 9 Shoto found Kotsky deep in conversation with his advisors. Shoto didn't know their names, but he knew they were strong leaders from strong tribes who led Kotsky's armies for him. Unlike Inji with his closest confidants, Kotsky seemed to keep his kingly duties separate from his personal life, so to speak. As far as Shoto could tell, he never talked to Mina, Dinky, or Kiri about war and strategy, unless they asked. And that meant, too, that he kept separate tables. His generals didn't share his dinner table, and his family didn't sit at the war table to listen in on meetings concerning matters of state which is why Shoto felt a prickle of unease when he found Kotsky listening intently to one of them. The man, a short, stocky soldier with an enormous beard, gave Shoto a slightly suspicious look when Shoto rounded the corner and drew up short. Kotsky turned around and blinked when he saw the general looking. Oh, Prince Shoto, do you need something? Shoto felt a little off balance. Inji, too, had kept Shoto's away f- Shoto away from matters of state, but Shoto had at least been familiar enough with those men that he knew how to act around them. He had no idea he- how he was expected to behave around Kotsky's soldiers, especially when he had been spending his days in relative comfort and leisure, save for the events in the village and Shoto's subsequent reporting of those events. None of the generals had seen him since then, certainly. A letter, your highness, he said automatically, because that's how he would address Inji in public, though he might be my lord, or honored father, or some such in private. Kotsky's eyes narrowed on Shoto and his lips twitched a little, and then he glanced at his general and didn't comment on Shoto's honorific. From, oh, uh, from me, Shoto corrected. It's for, Shoto trailed off, eyeing the third man, and Kotsky said, oh, right, come here, uh, you too, he added, jerking his chin. Shoto obediently followed Kotsky into a room he had never seen before. It was clearly an office, packed full of books, maps, and some magical artifacts. Shoto looked around in interest, wondering how Kotsky kept his private workspaces. And when he looked back, he found the general wordlessly holding a chair out for him. Shoto sat. Kotsky unrolled Shoto's scroll and began to read aloud, which made Shoto itch a little between his shoulder blades. But Kotsky clearly wasn't judging his penmanship or eloquence. He read quickly, cutting off words and phrases he deemed unimportant. Honored father, apologize for a delay in writing. Urgent matter has arisen and we are requesting assistance. Fires. Kotsky trailed off and then and started to read silently. When he was done, he looked up and gave Shoto a wiry look. Kiss ass. You don't know him, Shoto muttered quietly. Your Highness, if I may, the general interrupted, holding out his hand. Shoto? Uh, yes, of course, Shoto murmured, he, his cheeks heating inexplicably. The general took the letter and began to read, and when he was done, he said, Your Highness, I'm not sure this is the best course of action. Why not? You've expressed suspicions, the man said gruffly, voice a little too stilted, and eyes occasionally flickering to Shoto, that King Inji was not sincere in his assertions for peace. That Prince Shoto was sent to us on false pretenses and that you do not trust Enji to adhere to those treaties at all. 
Shoto rolled his eyes and then stared back at Kotsky, whose lips twitched a little when he stared back. So? Kotsky said still, voice neutral. So, I'm afraid this request for assistance reveals too much of our current predicament. I haven't told him everything, Shoto told Kotsky. I'm not sure keeping that close really helps us. Kotsky answered. Uh, what, your highness? Are you suggesting that I tell him about? Shoto glanced sideways at the general, the burned man. No, no. Kotsky said, waving his hand. Not in a letter. I wouldn't risk spreading that rumor. Um, excuse me, what rumor? Then what? Shoto asked. I, I just mean, he doesn't know we know something he don't know. Kotsky said then slowly. And nothing in your letter lets on that we know something he doesn't. Are you suggesting I taunt him? Shoto said sharply. That won't help at all. <laughs> I'm suggesting perhaps your father will be more inclined to offer his help if he thinks we have something he wants. Shoto shook his head. That's, I mean, you're right. But what do you suggest we offer him? Kotsky leaned back in his chair and scratched his chin thoughtfully. The general said finally, Your Highness. Huh? What? May I have a word? Kotsky furrowed his brow and then glanced at Shoto and then said, No. But, sir, I believe you mean my lord. Shoto corrected imperiously before he could stop himself. This general was irking him, and there was something very grating about hearing one of Kotsky's soldiers refer to him like he was some common captain. Sir. Kotsky actually stiffed a smirk this time, and the general glared at Shoto. A trust Prince Shoto, General, Kotsky said, and his voice was actually gentle for once. Shoto felt an odd little squirm in his belly, and he let his eyes drift to the floor so he wouldn't have to look at anyone else. Rewrite this, Kotsky said abruptly, handing Shoto the letter again. Tell him, tell him you've learned some strange attacks carried out on our people, and you believe a third party is involved. Give him just enough description of the attacks for him to connect the dots to any across the border. But don't tell him that we know, uh, sort of know, who carried him out. Let on you just overheard me talking about it or some shit. Shoto tilted his head and studied the back of the parchment he had written his original letter on. You want me to lie? Mislead, General. Given what we know of Inji, the General said very begrudgingly, that seems a wise course of action, assuming Prince Shoto agrees. Shoto chewed on his lip. I'll have to imply that you're all too stupid to figure it out on your own, he said, looking up at Kotsky. Kotsky grinned at him. <laughs> I'd expect nothing less, princess. The general just glared. Shoto rewrote the letter. 
and more besides, one each for Natsuo, Fuyumi, and his mother. He let Kotsky read the first three, knowing that Inji would too. Shoto slipped a few lines in each letter to keep Inji intrigued. And that one? Kotsky mumbled, handing back the first three and reaching for the fourth, but Shoto drew back. It's for my mother, Ray. Kotsky's eyes widened a little and then narrowed thoughtfully. I... I actually thought she was dead. That didn't surprise Shoto. Ray had been seen in public... She hadn't been seen in public in nearly 15 years. A lot of people thought she was dead, maybe even assumed secretly that Inji hadn't announced her death because it would mean conceding the throne to the next in her bloodline. She was the true queen, after all. Inji had been known as the queen's consort until Ray's illness had allowed him to officially take over all matters of state. Calling him king was simply a natural progression of that. She's not, Shoto said with a sigh. He tried not to think of her much, but this business with Dobby had reminded him. She's very ill, though, and I doubt she'll even be able to read this, he added, looking down sadly at the letter. What's wrong with her? Kotsky asked, leaning back in his chair and setting down the fork he'd been using to obliterate his meat. Shoto looked up from the letter and every non-answer he'd ever given flashed through his mind. She has a delicate constitution. She's just not well. Or his personal favorite, a blank stare. She's... Uh... Feeble feeble-minded. Shoto murmured quietly, using the awful phrase Inji always did. She often doesn't recognize us. Shoto explained, and she's prone to, to fits. He paused then, and without looking at Kotsky, Shoto tapped his own cheek and the very edge of his burn scar over his left eye. When he looked back, Koski was just watching him in silence, face intense and attentive. All this business with... Shoto had to swallow the overwhelmed sigh that had suddenly tried to slip past his lips. Family, Koski said evenly, taking a sip of his spicy Outland alcohol. Shoto took a very big swallow from his own cup in turn. Something like that, Shoto admitted. He, uh, toy. <clears throat> he tried to kill her. That's why, um, why would he do that? Kotsky asked quietly, carefully setting his own cup back down. Inji said it was because he wanted to rule. Inji's not technically blood-bound to the throne, but her children are, so if she died. And then Shoto didn't go on. Gotsky took a few more bites of his dinner and then asked, Does she have fire magic too? No. Ice. Then how? Water. Shoto interrupted and mumbled. A hot water. Shoto gave him an almost curt nod, grim, but not pitying, and then he asked, What did you write her about? It wasn't like when Kotsky had asked about the other letters, a kingly demand for information. Shoto didn't have to answer if he didn't want to. I told her that the Outlands are beautiful, Shoto admitted. She'd like the weather. She likes snow and the cold. Kotsky drank his drink, 
and Shoto did too. Maybe it was the spicy spirits. Shoto had a bit more than he meant to, and went to bed feeling like the castle was about to slide off the mountain. Maybe it was all that talk of his mother. But when Shoto went to sleep that night, he dreamt of home. He dreamt of Ray's tower, where Inji had locked her away after she started to show signs of the illness that had run in her family for generations. She spoke to people who weren't there. She was anxious and prone to fits of rage that left the rooms she was in covered in ice crystals. She snapped at servants and lost control of her magic and lashed out and hurt people. And so, for her own good, Inji locked her away. Shoto had visited her at first and was just in another wing of the castle. So all her children had spent time with her often. She was always gentle with them. Even through her tempers were unpredictable, she never lashed out at one of them. She wasn't like Inji. She got angry because she was confused, scared, tired. Inji was just angry. Tonight, Shoto dreamt he was small again. He dreamt he knocked on Ray's door, and when he opened it, Toya was holding her as she wept. He looked like Shoto remembered him. Red hair, Inji's eyes, but Ray's fine features. He was tall and handsome and everything Shoto wanted to be when he was grown. Toya was learning from Inji, learning how to rule one day, and he still always made time for them, for Rei and Fiyumi and Natsuo and Shoto. But Rei was weeping, muttering over and over again. Shoto stepped into the room, and they were both so much taller than he was. He made a rosebud for his mother, held it out in his right hand so she could see, because she liked pretty things made of ice, and Shoto didn't want her to cry anymore. They looked down at him, and Toya smiled. It looked wrong, too wide, like it was trying to stretch his whole face. And Ray murmured, I don't remember. I used to. I, I don't. And she said it over and over and over again. And something about it made all the hair on the back of Shoto's neck stand up. Made him look around for Toya. Because if Ray was going into a fit, Toya could calm her down. He, could al he always could. And Toya shushed her grinning down at little Shoto and passed his hand over his lips. When he drew his fingers away, she wasn't talking anymore, just mumbling quietly to herself, and Shoto looked up at her relieved, so proud, so relieved, that Toya was here except... Her lips were stuck shut, stitched together, crossed with thread, and Shoto asked... What did you do to her? Toya grinned at him, blue fire falling from the cracks between his teeth, burning his lips and chin until the skin began to crack, blackening his red hair with soot. It was wrong. It was wrong. Toya's fire wasn't blue. This was... He grinned, and his face split all the way back to his ears, skin curling up where his jaw met his skull. I made her better. Isn't she beautiful? Ray dug trenches from her own skin, tried to pry her lips apart, and tears falling from her eyes froze on her cheeks. Dobby laughed sweetly, hand on Ray's so shoulder and said to Shoto, <laughs> Burn you now. And he moved so fast, reached out and put his whole palm over little Shoto's left eye so that all Shoto saw was a sudden violent flare of blue. 
Shoto actually fell out of bed, panting desperately for air that didn't want to come. Body drenched in sweat that froze or steamed away, and wasn't uh, and it wasn't until he'd frantically kicked away the blankets tangling around his legs that he remembered where he was. It was dark and quiet, and he couldn't take it. He couldn't. He needed to move, and he wrenched himself to his feet and stumbled out of the room, head so full of burn you now, made her beautiful, made her better, better burn, that for the first time in weeks he got lost. He didn't realize he was lost until he heard a noise, and when he lifted his head, he saw an enormous shadow shambling around at the end of the hall, emerging from a black doorway. Fear spiked in his chest, and fire flared in his hand, and a very mumbled, sleepy voice said, Shoto? Hearing his name did something, drew him back into himself a little. Izuku wandered, squinting, into the little circle of light Shoto was making with the fire in his fist. His hair was a mess, and he wasn't wearing a tunic, and his feet were bare, and Shoto exhaled all at once, nearly collapsed against the wall as all his horrible, nervous energy left him. Hey, hey, are you all right? Izuku said concerned, eyes getting a little sharper as he shook some sleep away. Shoto shook his head. What's wrong? Shoto's voice was gentle and soothing, but creeping into alarm, and he started to look around, like he was expecting to see someone else. Dream. Shoto managed. Just a dream. Izuku put his hands on Shoto's shoulders, and Shoto might have jumped at the contact if Izuku's hands weren't so big and warm. Izuku peered into his face and then said, Come here. And gently started steering Shoto back up the hallway. Shoto led him. The door Izuku had been coming out of was a bathhouse. It was bigger than Kotsky's, but not quite as luxurious. There were a few stalls across the room with places to relieve oneself, unlike with Kotsky's wing of the castle, where those two rooms were separate. Izuku pushed Shoto down onto a little stool and started moving around near the wash basins. Shoto didn't pay attention. It was lighter in here than in the hallways had been. Spelled torches flickering in a soft, soothing orange glow. Shoto pinched the bridge of his nose and tried to pull himself back into his own head to reorder his thoughts. He looked up when Izuku kneeled on the ground in front of him and very gently brought a wet cloth to Shoto's forehead. Shoto stared at him, but he was really too tired to be shocked. The cool cloth felt good against his skin, and he realized he was still drenched in sweat. He forced himself to take a slow, deep breath. What did you dream about? Izuku asked him gently. Do you want to talk about it? Shoto jerked his head. Can't explain, really. And then, because he remembered that Izuku had been there the night he'd had to tell Kotsky about Dobby, he muttered, It was about, uh, him, the man who, my brother. Izuku frowned at him and then leaned forward to lay his cloth against the back of Shoto's neck. He had to move Shoto's tangled hair to do it. And then his hands already lifted around Shoto's shoulders. He moved a little suddenly and pulled Shoto against his chest. Shoto was shocked then. Mina and Denki and Kiri tried to tug him into hugs sometimes. But before them, 
only his family had ever. He still wasn't used to it. Was always made intensely uncomfortable by the contact, but this was very different. Izuku wasn't wearing a shirt. Shoto had never seen him without one on, and his arms were very scarred, and his skin was warm and smelled good. And he pressed Shoto's face against his collarbone and tucked his chin over Shoto's head. Shoto was taller than Izuku, and when they were standing, but like this, he felt small. He was stunned to realize it wasn't a bad feeling. Not like in the dream when he'd been too little and too young and too helpless. This was different. He felt small because Izuku felt strong and sturdy. Like an enormous stone wall separating Shoto from every awful image in his mind that could be conjured for him. Shoto exhaled in a big huff and lifted his arms up under Shoto Izuku's shoulders and... Do you want something to drink? Izuku asked when they'd been sitting like that for much longer than Shoto wanted to admit. Shoto pulled back and shook his head a little. Um, I'm fine. You say that a lot, and I don't really believe you. Shoto laughed a little, amazed at the way Izuku could tease without any real barbs. Izuku pulled back too, rubbed his hands over Shoto's bare shoulders, and went back to the wash basins. He put a cup of cool, clear water in Shoto's hand when he came back, pulled from the spelled tap, and Shoto sipped at it just so Izuku wouldn't feel like he'd gotten it for no reason. He was right, though. The water helped. Izuku sat flat on the ground and looked up at Shoto with a gentle, comforting little smile on his lips, and then said again, but very deliberately, What did you dream about? Shoto took another sip of water to clear the dryness from his mouth. Him. And my... My mother. Izuku waited patiently for him to go on. He was executed for treason. Shoto explained quietly, careful to make sure his voice didn't waver. My father claimed he tried to murder our mother. Some kind of poison, and I... I never really believed him, Shoto admitted. But now I'm... I'm not so sure. Why is that? He tried to kill me, Shoto muttered. It was him. It was definitely him. But he tried to kill me. Shoto, Izuku said very clearly. Are you sure Toya was executed? Yes, I... We all had to be there. When he did chance a look, Izuku was staring at him with a very dark expression on his face. You had to watch your brother be executed? By fire? Yes, Shoto said flatly. Izuku blinked, and then Shoto watched his chest rise and fall in a slow, deliberate breath. If he was really dead, whatever he is, whatever that man did to him, that isn't really him. Let's say for a minute that Tomura person. Let's say he's powerful enough to actually bind a full-fledged human soul to a dead body, and not just, just shadows and pieces of spirits like most of them do. Shoto considered Izuku in silence and wondered if he knew more about necromancy than Shoto did. Shoto's knowledge was very limited. Uh, 
let's say he did manage to tie Toya's soul and body together, and he's not just using Toya's body like a puppet. Power like that destroys. Whatever he's, he was like before he died, he's not going to be much like that now. Shoto sipped his water, stomach churning. Uh, meaning, Izuku said gently, just because Dobby tried to kill you doesn't mean Toya did. And then he pressed further and asked, Why did you think he was innocent? I don't know, Shoto mumbled. Maybe I just didn't want to think. But he wasn't right. At the end, we are. My mother's insane. Shoto said very bluntly. Izuku blinked at him. It runs in our family. But it had been a few generations since. And she was older when we started to see the signs. Forty or so, but... But Toya wasn't. He was just the right age. My age. Shoto added. He insisted she wasn't sick. That it was something else, and he... A servant caught him putting something in her food, and when they tasted it, it... Shoto stopped talking abruptly, understanding hitting him so hard it made the room spin. He'd been denying all of this, refusing to think it through, but... It was some kind of spelled poison, Shoto said tightly. And that was the first time anyone told me what necromancy was. He was dabbling with? Yes, Shoto said quickly. That's what the mages said. Toya insisted it was to help her. But they told Inji it would have killed her and probably... Probably made it easier to bind her spirit after. Or bind something to her body. They weren't sure. Uzuku said very slowly. Hmm... I wonder how the executed Todoroki's prince's body ended up walking out around here. He really was working with, wasn't he? Shoto said quietly, lifting his head. Izuku just looked at him, lips turned down. I never believed him, Shoto said. Angie said Toya just wanted the throne faster, and I never believed him, especially since. Shoto cut himself off abruptly, and Izuku said, Yes? Some of the advisors to the throne, they started recommending Toya take Angie's place. Angie wasn't ever supposed to be king. He just married the only living heir. My mother was queen, so when Toya came of age and there was talk that he should, he was. Everybody loved him, and Inji is horrible. Yes, Shoto spat. He's... Shoto trailed off and huffed into his drink. Too many memories were too close all at once. Shoto hadn't let himself dwell on so much. He'd forced himself to not think too hard on Dobby or Tomura or that horrible fight. He'd forced himself not to picture the shadow creature sprouting from that hand, and now he saw it all. And what was more, he saw Toya. Not Dobby. Toya. Shoto was much older Shoto was almost older now than he had been, and he'd been marched into the executioner's platform with spelled iron cuffs on his wrist and tear tracks down his cheeks. He'd been incoherent when they'd asked him if he had anything to say in response to the crimes he'd been found guilty of.
He'd yelled something nonsensical that Shoto couldn't remember, something about blood on the ice, and he'd screamed at Inji, I know what you did! Except there was nothing that Inji could have done. In hindsight, Shoto knew that moment, seeing Toya, a raving, violent, broken picture of madness, was the moment he lost any support he may have had. He'd already been convicted and sentenced, but there had still been powerful men who might have been able to stop or postpone things in those final moments, but no one had come forward. Even with the magic suppressing cuffs, Toya's body had been still impervious to flame, to a point. By doing it himself, Inji had shown his own strength and garnered sympathy too. Poor man, forced to execute his own son. But hanging him would have been too easy. Hey, Izuku said sharply, putting both his hands on Shoto's knees. Shoto looked up, heart hammering. Come back. I'm... Don't say you're fine. Shoto rubbed his hand over his face and breathed. I know you didn't really want to come here. Izuku said carefully that you and Kachan aren't really... For some very strange reason, Shoto's heart twisted in his chest. But... I know you can. I know he can be hot-tempered and brash. But you know, Kachan won't ever let that man. Shoto shook his head. And Izuku said, He can't touch you here, Shoto. Shoto met his eyes, and it took him a second to realize Izuku wasn't talking about Dobby. You're one of us now, yeah? He added with a little smile. Shoto felt like Izuku had cracked his chest open and squeezed his heart with one of those beautiful, scarred hands. It won't last. Shoto said, voice hoarse all of a sudden. Soon as he knows we're not really married, he'll demand I come back. I'm... Still confused about that, Izuku admitted. Didn't you marry Kachan? Yes, but the ceremony was performed by one of our priests, and marriages aren't legal where I come from, and if you've already got a living spouse, and if they're not consummated. Shoto cut himself off, feeling himself blush a little. Izuku smirked at him. That's a stupid law. How would they know? If I remember my history, Shoto said carefully, those laws were put into place to prevent these sort of marital marital arrangements. If someone was forced into a marriage they didn't want, they had legal recourse to have it annulled if they didn't, uh, you know. Uh, you could just tell Inji you. Shoto made a startled, choking sound. (coughs) That's worse. Izuku smiled at him. But he thinks you're married. But he... And then Shoto pressed a very frustrated palm to his forehead has to know I'd never agree to using myself like that. He'd even said it, hadn't he? That Shoto had volunteered to be a whore? He must have known. Known how furious that would have made Shoto. Known how often Shoto refused to do the things Inji wanted him to do. He knows this is a sham. Shoto groaned. 
awfully optimistic of him. Shoto or Izuku mused, leaning back on one hand and rubbing the other over the back of his head. What if you'd gotten along? And then Izuku added, unless he knows you don't like men. No, I, I think he knows I do. Shoto mumbled a little absently, and then he looked at Izuku. Izuku was watching him with raised brows. I just mean, we had balls sometimes. Celebrations. I danced with men too, or mostly, actually. He added, looking at the ground under Izuku's fingers instead of the dark freckles across the bridge of Izuku's nose. So he just hoped you'd hate Gachan? I suppose. So what happens if you don't? What do you mean? I just mean, if he wants you to hate Kachan, maybe you shouldn't. I don't. I, I don't hate him. This was a revelation. Shoto added with a little blush. Not since the village. Izuku nodded very seriously and then said, I'm glad. He's... He paused, looking at a spot on Shoto's chest. He's Kachan. He said a little quietly, as if the name alone was explanation, a reason for Shoto to respect him. Can I ask you something, Izuku? Shoto said a little quietly. Why don't you hate him? Izuku bit his lip. It just sort of seems like you should. I never hated him. Izuku whispered, Never. He's caught, John. I couldn't. Izuku paused, and Shoto saw his throat work. I know he seems like a bully. And he seems like... Like he hates me, but he doesn't. He's just hurt. I know that. Shoto said, after his last conversation with Gotsky, that much had been made very clear to him. I wish things were different between us, Izuku said softly. But just because they can't be doesn't mean... It doesn't mean I don't. Maybe Shoto had asked the wrong question. Maybe he should have asked how Izuku and Kotsky ever ended up together in the first place, when they were so different from each other. Why'd you leave? Izuku stared at him, all the pink from his cheeks just gone, with his beautiful moss-green eyes so wide and just filled with guilt. Shoto watched him swallow, and then he said very, very quietly, I thought he'd come for me. Shoto's brows furrowed, pity filling his chest, and maybe some of Izuku's guilt, too. Shoto wasn't sure he had any right to ask this, or to know. He's so proud. He and Kiri were falling in love. And I think, I think I just wanted to know he still loved me too. And things got really bad. So I left and I kept waiting for him to tell me to come home. But he never did. And Izuku took a huge breath and drew his knees to his chest wrapped his arms around them. <sighs> it's been so long, but it still feels strange sometimes, Izuku admitted, 
that we're not good for each other. We're not even really friends anymore, but but I guess we never really were. Izuku dragged the back of his hand over his eyes and sniffed a little. I thought it wouldn't be so hard seeing him, Izuku admitted. It's been years since all that, but... But... Shoto hadn't quite expected all this. He'd been curious, sure. But he hadn't expected this overwhelming desire to comfort Izuku. Especially about Kotsky. He was still wasn't sure he understood what everyone saw in Kotsky. He was attractive. Even Shoto couldn't deny that. But he cared even though he seemed like he didn't at first. Maybe Shoto was just surprised that much that such sense Maybe Shoto was just surprised that such relentlessly kind people like Izuku and Kiri and Mina and Denki didn't need Kotsky to speak softly to them to know he still cared. What are you thinking? I was thinking, Shoto murmured, wondering if he dared finish that sentence. That this is all very complicated, he admitted. Yeah, Izuku said with another small little smile. Shoto nodded. I suppose I've never known people to be actually in love. Izuku frowned then, whole face scrunching up a little. What? It's not... It, uh... I never saw it. Shoda mumbled. I thought maybe it was just... Just something in storybooks. Just for fun. Izuku chewed his lip and tilted his head to the side. Shoto stared past him for a long, silent stretch, trying to order his thoughts, and when he couldn't, he mumbled, I, I think I'm going to go back to bed now. Um, Izuku said gently, Do you feel better? Shoto stood up and held out his hand to haul Izuku to his feet. Yes, thank you. Thank you for being so kind to me. Izuku wrinkled his nose and smiled. Of course. He was standing very close now, and Shoto thought of how it had felt to hug him. How good his skin had felt against Shoto's and how good he smelled. The warmth in his skin had helped Shoto to equalize, had made his left side feel cool and his right side heat up a bit until he felt level. And he hadn't quite realized how often he felt unbalanced like that. How often he walked around with his body simply not feeling right and how quickly he'd found that what right was when Izuku touched him. Izuku's eyes flickered from Shoto's face down to their clasped hands and back again, and he leaned forward a little when he said, Shoto? Shoto dropped his hand like it was dangerous and squeezed his own into fists at the shock of it, at the realization that he'd just been holding Izuku's hand like that and staring at his collarbones his naked neck and chest, and now his face. The burning heat of the baths, the steam curling against their skin that Shoto hadn't really noticed until now, had left a pink flush across Izuku's chest and his cheeks and the bridge of his nose. And he was so kind, so earnest, so fucking beautiful, Shoto suddenly ached all over just looking at him. 
and Izuku was standing very close, staring back, smiling, always smiling at Shoto like that, like they had some secret, or like Izuku understood him. Shoto didn't realize he'd moved at all until Izuku jerked his head back and turned his cheek. And then Shoto felt his whole body freeze, felt his stomach drop out of his belly in sheer horror, and Izuku said gently, without really pulling away anymore, Kachan wouldn't like it. Shoto watched his lips move when he said it, heard the way he barely spoke, and heard a little disbelief in his words like he couldn't believe he was speaking them. Shoto couldn't believe he'd forced Izuku to say them at all. I'm sorry, he hissed, because it seemed the thing to say, because everything in him wanted to turn and run away, but all his impulses in this strange, barbaric world seemed wrong, seemed to get him in even more trouble, so he just stood there heart in his throat, and couldn't believe he'd been so stupid. Izuku grabbed both of Shoto's hands in his and said, No, no, don't be. Shoto pulled his hands away because the way Izuku was holding them and the way he was talking suddenly hurt. Shoto felt like he'd been carved open, like Izuku had reached into his chest and stirred all his insides around and then smiled and said, There, better now? And it wasn't. It was all so much worse. Shoto cleared his throat and then he really did run away, or at least walked very quickly. Shoto, wait! No, no, absolutely not. He would not. Would you please just... Shoto pulled the door shut and dashed down the hall and around the corner before he heard Izuku tug the door open and call after him. Shoto! Fuck. Even hearing him call Shoto's name like that hurt. It was his fault. His own damn fault for thinking just because a man showed him a kindness that that must mean. Of course, that's how all men at court had been. They'd flattered and served and smiled until Shoto had believed maybe someday someone actually just wanted to be friendly. And then the instant they were alone, they had to suddenly stave off any advance. <coughs> He'd thought, maybe Izuku. If he really wasn't like that, then why? And what was happening to Shoto that he'd actually wanted him to be? Shoto crawled back into bed feeling even more foolish than he'd felt when he'd crawled out of it. And he stared at Denki's light in the dark for a long time before he realized he might have just preferred the nightmare. End of chapter 9. Sorry my voice has been a little rough. Uh, allergies are a bitch. <laughs> um, I did the best I could. But uh, hopefully tomorrow my voice will be a little better. And hopefully I can record chapter 10. So I hope you enjoyed. Good night everyone.